What does it mean to be spiritual? Is it a luxury that only the eat, pray, love set have the time and money to indulge? Our guest today says no. True spirituality is not otherworldly or self-indulgent. It's the stuff of everyday, gritty reality. It can make a difference in every action, every word, every decision we make. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce the world to my brother, Jotham Kingston. How are you, Joth? I'm um, very well, thanks, Kent. <laughs> now, uh, look, this this is the beauty of, of being the host of a, a radio and podcast show that you can interview whoever you like, and uh, you can even, you know, bring in the nepotism and and put your brother in the hot seat. So, <laughs> so <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. That's so, okay. It's look, it's certainly a, a privilege to write for your magazine. Yeah, well, and that's right, and that's what prompted it. Um, you you wrote a, an article for us in the June edition of Science of the Times. It's entitled Right Place, Right Time, which is a phrase you, you use in your article, and we'll certainly get to that. So, yeah, but really exploring this idea of spirituality. But before we get into that, I'd just really like our listeners to get a bit of an idea of, of who you are, of you know your background, where, where you fit in. I mean, I know it, of course, so I'll, I'll know if you're lying, <laughs> but tell us. Yeah, sure. I am a secondary teacher at a private school on the mid-north coast. Mm-hmm. I've been a teacher now, I think this is about my eighth year. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching year eight, nine and ten. And at the moment, at school here, they call it, the subject is religion. Mm-hmm. So it's all kind of Bible stuff, Christian spirituality that we're looking at, which is, it can be a real challenge, but it's it's also very, very rewarding. Okay. And does the religion curriculum that you're teaching also include like teaching, you know, Buddhism and Islam and Hinduism and, and you know, does it cover that sort of thing? I am able to take the source material and change it to suit my audience. I have decided with my year 10 students to spend some time looking at different religions. Mm-hmm. So yes, we do look at Buddhism, we look at Hinduism uh, in, in particular and, and some other some other world religions as well. Okay. All right. Now you, you say that at the minute you're teaching religion and I do know that you know, you're passionate about English, you're passionate about science, you, you, you were a, a little bit of a, I don't know, probably a lot more maths and science oriented at school than I was, but also, you know, really passionate about literature and writing, pretty much an all rounder that um, annoyed me a lot <laughs> when I was growing up. But it, I guess the religion is a good fit for you because you also hold a theology degree, don't you? Yeah, that's correct. Before I did my my training in education, I I did a four year theology degree mm-hmm. that I I enjoyed very much actually. The reason why I studied theology, however, was a bit different. Mm. Most people who were studying with me were looking to get jobs as church pastors. Mm-hmm. I, however, in in my idealistic youth yep. thought that I was going to study theology so that I could be a writer. I, I wanted to explore some deep themes so that I, I had something interesting to say and some depth to my writing. 
Right. Okay. All right. And look, uh, listeners, if, if you're keen to check out um, some of what Jotham has written there, there are bits and pieces on Amazon, in, including, is there an e-book version now of um, your, your, yes. your young adult science fiction, Bryn Warren Hervains? Yes, thank you very, very much for the plug. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, but I, I will take it. The young adult novel is called Bryn War in Her Veins. It, it's a it's a spiritual book, but I wouldn't call it religious. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, Spoiler. but it's a it's it's science fiction fantasy type book. Yeah, yeah. No, mm. look, I, I really enjoyed it, and everyone I know who has read it has also enjoyed it. Um, and I guess it's not surprising, that, you know, given that with your writing, that this was sort of, you know, one of your biggest writing projects, and it's aimed at young adults, and here you are now teaching high school students. So, so like, like you say, I mean, you, you're, you're there teaching re- religion um, on the mid-north coast at, at Kempsey there. This is a fairly, I don't know what, a socioeconomically struggling sort of area. So, you must have a really interesting mix of kids in your classroom like what what does spirituality and, and religion mean to them because i imagine not all of them are you know from church backgrounds yeah that's a really good question i do have some students from a church background but the vast majority of them don't come from a church background and to be honest i tend to kind of forget about their background and just assume on one hand mm. that they're all that they're all searching and they all want answers but on the other hand that they're all connected to God and, and they all know what I'm talking about when I when I talk with uh, talk about spirituality. Right. We kind of step back as much as possible and look at the big picture in my lessons. For example, we look at the question of is there a God? Yep. What's if there is a God then what is what is God's personality like and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. For many of the students it's so new to them they often forget the material because they've got nowhere to kind of plug it in mm. in their brains. So we find ourselves going around and around in in circles as the lights are coming on and the students are, are, are figuring out the relevance of questions, such as they, they will say, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? And mm-hmm. we, we might have talked about that three months before, but, but suddenly, for some reason, the lights have come on mm. and now it's a relevant question for them. Yeah, well, I guess people have been asking that question for centuries, haven't they? And they, they do. Yeah. We all keep circling back to that one and, and many other uh, questions. But it's interesting that you say that, I guess, we have an increasingly secular society. And like you say, there, there are kids who have been brought up perhaps without any reference to, you know, God or church or religion or, or anything in their lives. And despite the fact that you say they don't seem to have mental categories into which to put some of these ideas, do you sense that some of the ideas are actually resonating with them, that, that they are spiritual on, on some level? Oh, absolutely. For example, I was, I was talking with my Year 9 students today about the sense that I have when I stand outside at night and look up at the stars. Mm. And I was saying to them, I, on one hand, I feel so small and the universe is such a big place. And on the other hand, when I look up at the stars, I, I feel like that there's so much more to my, uh, there's so much more that my life should be. Mm. And, and, and I say to them, I, I get the sense that I, I was born for more than this. Mm. Look, year nine students aren't going to nod and smile and go, yeah, that's what I feel as well. <laughs> but but I, can, I can tell from the silence and, and the, like the heavy silence that I get back that they're, they're listening and they, they go, yep, I know that feeling that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm resonating with that. 
Yeah, yeah. I, mm. I, I guess it, it's interesting to reflect that, you know, I mean, what we had the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s, you know, somewhere, and, and the world since then has just been incredibly changed in, in so many countries. We had the whole sort of, you know, 20th century of so much incredible change. Here we are in the 21st, you know, like, I mean, this was science fiction, you know, when I was a kid thinking of living in the, <laughs> in the year 2000, the distant future. But, but, but here we are. And despite all our progress and all our science and all our development, it does seem that the majority, well, it doesn't seem, it's true that the majority of the world's population are still spiritual people. You know, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Islam, whether it's one of the other major world religions or, or small religions, why, why is religion so persistent, do you think? I think religion is so persistent because it doesn't matter how much technology we have. Or, or how much plastic we have or whatever. The, the problem that we're faced with still is a deep sense of loneliness, mm-hmm. of, of disconnection. Mm. And, and I think that is, that is universal. If we were to get into a time machine and, and go back 100, 200, 500, 1,000 years to anywhere in the world, we'd, mm. we'd still find people that are struggling with the same sense that, that there's something big missing in their life. Hmm. And, and that's the reason why people are drawn to, to a spiritual journey. Hmm. Um, and, and I guess why, why religion or a formal religion for many people is the answer because it's a, I guess in a way you could say it's kind of, a, kind of an out-of-the-box solution to those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it really interesting because I, I remember reading somewhere a little while back that I guess we have this kind of stereotype that religion is slowly declining and diminishing and, and is headed, you know, to fade away. But in fact, I believe, you know, peak atheism was in the 20th century at some point, like when communism was at its height and atheism was sort of the state, you know, religion in a number of countries in Eastern Europe. At that point, the largest proportion of the population ever identified as as Christian Mm. Then, you know, 30 years ago, 1989, you know, we've just been talking about Tiananmen Square, you know, the Berlin Wall came down, all, all this sort of stuff. It's suddenly there was this resurgence of, of religion. And even in China today, there's concern that there is actually, it's going to get to the stage where there are going to be more Christians in China than members of the Communist Party. That huh. is a big deal. And, and this is, I guess, why I'm wondering, hey, you know, religion is clearly not diminishing. And, and what you're saying is that, it answers a need in, you know, pretty much every human heart. It, it's there. I mean, is is that need there because it's? I mean, you know, we we have need for hunger. Food exists. We have we have feel thirst. You know, water exists. We have you know need for um you know for sexual connection, and that's because reproduction exists. Um, is this need for for spiritual connection evidence that something divine exists? Well, I, I haven't met all six or seven billion people on the planet, but but I, <laughs> I know I, I know that for for me that that seems to make sense. Okay, so look, I mean that's that that is fascinating. So look, in your article, you you talk about spirituality in particular. Why did you choose the word spirituality rather than you know religion? Say, I guess my hunch is from talking to my students. Uh, looking, maybe it's a bias myself as well. The word religion has quite quite bad connotations mm-hmm. in, in in our culture at the moment. Okay, I mean, I mean is is spirituality just a nice word for religion then, or do you feel that they actually do have separate meanings? 
<laughs> well, I, I actually think spirituality is almost going the same way as religion now. In, in my article, I quoted the um, the comedian JP Sears, mm. who's got a YouTube video where he pokes fun at spirituality. Yeah. And, he, and he's doing a similar thing that a lot of people have done about religion. Again, so, so for some people, spirituality is is just a word mm-hmm. that covers over a, a multitude of sins, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, look, I mean, I guess the way I've, I've always thought about it is that spirituality is sort of the belief you, you might have as an individual. I mean, this sort of experience you describe of standing out there and looking at a night sky or, or over an ocean or over a mountain and having this sense of, uh, you know, transcendence, there's something bigger out there, this sense of presence that to me seems spirituality. I guess, you know, when you pray, that's a spiritual experience. But when you start putting a structure around it, when you start saying, well, here's a way to pray, here's an intellectual belief that you can use to sort of structure what this feeling means, and here's a way that you can do it together as a community, that to me is when spirituality becomes religion is is that a, a fair definition or do you see it differently yeah i think so um if i can remember back to my theology days mm. i think the uh the technical word that we used there was uh, a sense of the numinous mm. which means uh, spirituality is about having a sense that i'm small and there is something with a mm. capital mm. s or there's an other with a capital o that's that's out there yeah i, I think Having having beliefs is one thing, but if if you want to do something about your beliefs, if you're committed to those beliefs, then that means acting on them in some way. Which which means people from the outside are going to say, "Hey, you're religious because you're following through, mm-hmm. and and you're doing something different in your lifestyle." I just shrug and say, "Well, if if that's what you want to call it, that's that's mm-hmm. what it mm-hmm. is." Yeah, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, I'm following through and making choices for, for what I believe are genuine reasons yep. to express my spirituality. And and if someone else wants to think that I'm being religious and that's a bad thing, well, I'm sorry. That's that, that, that's, that's the, the language they choose. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Well, it's, it's interesting that you use that language yourself. Yeah. Um, religion is the way you express your spirituality, or or you put it, to put it in another way, religion is is spirituality put into practice. So that's that, that's interesting. Now, and you do start in your article to put a little bit of structure and give us some tips and pointers about, you know, what does it mean to be spiritual and, and how do you live in, in a spiritual way? Um, but I guess, first of all, you, <laughs> you, you, you sort of warn us off or, or you admit perhaps that you are a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of spirituality and, and there's a bit of a stereotype out there of, of a spiritual person. What... What, what do you mean there? Well, give us some examples. I think probably my my fear of a, both a spiritual person and a religious person comes mm. down to the idea of hypocrisy, right? which comes from a, a, the Greek word for being an, a stage actor. Mm. So a, a person who has who outwardly does one thing while while inwardly or privately doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so for example, a, a spiritual person who talks about about incense and, and and yoga and all sorts of stuff, but then on the other hand, when their kid spills their chai latte, they 
go off and throw a tantrum in the cafe. Yeah, they yeah, uh, they, yeah, they, they, they they lose their serenity way way too quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And and of course it's it's really easy to look at that and poke fun. Mm. It's another thing to be um to be on the other end of that. Mm-hmm. If if mm. I can give you an example in my job, my my job as a as a religion teacher is to tell these pesky year nine students that that Jesus loves them very much. I had a kid up the back of my class today shining a laser in my eyes while I was up the front trying to <laughs> great excellent trying trying to unpack these big concepts yeah and and I tell you what it's it's it, it's really hard to have that to happen and to stop what to stop what I'm doing and to say to the kid you know put the laser down and yeah and yeah Jesus and, loves you you little what brat. Do you think you're doing yeah and, yeah, and then yeah. I, I actually. I've, I've figured out, I make a joke of it now, and after I've done my little growling, you know, Jesus loves you. What do you expect me to say as a religion teacher? And they kind of giggle and everyone's a little bit embarrassed and yep. there's a bit of relief and we just move on. Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And, and and I guess at a larger scale, you know, when, when you see, for example, a, you know, a, a, a Catholic priest who is given a vow of celibacy, you know, then being involved in in child abuse. I mean, that's the most horrible hypo- hypocrisy. Or, or we've seen, I guess, you know, some Muslim fundamentalists who will prefer to let a girls' school burn down with the students inside it rather than have those girls come outside where they, you know, where they may be dressed immodestly or their their you know father or brother isn't there to pick them up and escort them home appropriately. I mean, it, it, you know what I mean. This is the sort of thing that makes people sick uh, about religion and and to see that, to see that hypocrisy. I mean, that's that's the deep dark stuff that's that's behind it, isn't it? I mean, behind mm, this sort mm. of light-hearted stereotype. Yeah. Okay. So look, let, let's get into these four tips that that you do give us about, um, you know, if you are interested in spirituality, you have this vague sense of, hey, there's something out there and you obviously believe that, that it is, that it's real. How, how do we start to put this into practice? Take us through your, your four tips. Okay. Tip one is about the concept of freedom. Mm-hmm. I, I base my spirituality on the life of Jesus and I explain, mm-hmm. uh, although briefly in my article, why I do that. There's a brilliant quote from Jesus where he's where he is talking about people who are spiritual and he says that they're like the wind. Mm-hmm. You can feel them when they're in the room, you, they're making a difference, but you can't tell where they're coming from. You can't tell where they're going. So it seems that they are, that they are moving without rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. And, and there's something about that idea that really, really resonates with me. So, so um, you, you could use another metaphor, say they're you know, walking to the beat of a different drum sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I think the reason why that, that resonates with me and um, hopefully with your listeners as well is, is because it, it stands diametrically opposed to the idea that, that religion is about, about being straight-laced mm. and, and, and controlled and straight-jacketed. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is interesting because I mean, when you say you know, be—I mean, your tip is called "be free and creative." And when I see that, that does sort of sound a little bit—I don't know—sort of like yoga pants on the beach. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. But but I see where you're coming from. That we do have this perception that religion is all about rules and regulations, and you're just seeking to smash that perception straight away by saying, "No, it's actually when you look at, at Christian spirituality in particular." It's about freedom. I mean, can you explore a little bit more like actual freedom? I mean, you're saying other people can't predict what you're doing, but but how how is that freedom? 
when I look at the way that Jesus lived his life, and, mm-hmm. and I keep going back to that as a blueprint, yeah. I see a person who spent time with God one-on-one outside in the very, very early morning. Mm-hmm. And there was there was communication between Jesus and God mm-hmm. where it seems that, that Jesus got his instructions for the day. Mm-hmm. So there's one point in particular where where his, his disciples or his students come to find him and they say, hey, look, everyone's waiting for you back at the house. Why don't you come back? And he says to them, no. He says, we, we're actually going to leave from here. We're going to go move on. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that he's trying to be annoying. It's because because he's, as you said, following the beat of a different drum, mm-hmm. and and he's free enough to to not be following um, the the human convention around him. Mm-hmm. He's he's just following the directions of God. I guess in one hand you could say, well, that's not freedom. That's 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 total obedience and mm. and servitude. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> It, so, it, it is. It's a. It's another way of. It is another way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess it has certainly been suggested that you know we, we all you know I, I think it was Bob Dylan saying that song you know you've got to serve somebody you know it, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord <laughs> yeah but you've got to serve somebody. <laughs> I, I think another aspect of freedom is that too often we're we're too tied up. In, in worrying about what other people think of us <laughs> or worrying about how much money we have or don't have. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea that, that, that God has got you in the, in the hollow of his hand and that you are safe is absolutely beautiful. And, it, and for me, I, I often find myself drawing a big shuddery breath and I think, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. Mm. God, know, God knows exactly where I am. He knows what's going on. It's all fine. Mm, I don't mm. have to worry about the other stuff. And that is an extremely freeing experience and, and idea to, to, to live by. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, that's, that, that, does, that does make a, a lot more sense. And, and, and like you say, you know, it sounds like total obedience to God, which it kind of is. And you, mm. your point two sort of carries on with that idea because your point two is do it all to the glory of God, which is actually a Bible quote, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and if I can circle back and, and talk about the, the, the idea that, that freedom is about being on the beach with yoga pants, mm-hmm. this, this tip too about doing it all to the glory of God kind of brings spirituality right down to a grassroots level. Mm-hmm. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God mm-hmm. uh, is, is a quote in the Bible. And, and, and I like that because it takes down the wall between things that are spiritual and things that are not. Yeah. And, and it means that I can quite literally drive my car and, and do that, do that to the glory of God, or mm-hmm. I can, I, I can clean the floor or I can, I can build my house or there, there are so many things that you can do. And, and suddenly that, that invites God into the, into the small spaces of life. Right, right. This it reminds me of the architect uh, Gaudi. You know, he built a lot of in- incredible uh, buildings in Spain, but in particular that, um, that Sagrada Familia, the giant cathedral there, which, you know, people just flock to, to to check out. Apparently there are parts to that cathedral that you can't climb up this, up some stairs and go and poke your head around the corner and see it. Like no one will ever see it. But nevertheless, there are some incredible incredibly intricate carvings and you know perfect joins and some incredible mm. craftsmanship up there and people asked Gaudi like why are you bothering 
to do this, you know, because this was like a work of a lifetime for him. The thing took like decades and decades to build. And he said, you know what? God sees it. Mm. And, and that to me seems to be an illustration of, of what you're talking about. When, when an everyday action can become an act of worship, it sort of, I don't know, it, it gives the, you know, your, your everyday activities, a, I don't know, as a sense of importance and I don't know, is, is there mindfulness in, the, in that? Is there just a sense of purpose? I don't, I don't know, but it's something special. Yeah, I, I think so. It's very, very easy as a teacher to, to wish our lives away. You know, as, as teachers, life can be pretty hard in the term time. Yep. And, and so many teachers say, oh, it's Monday. I can't wait for Friday. Yep. And, then when, when, and then on Monday after that, they say, oh, it's, it's week five. You know, we've only got another five weeks to go till the holidays. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a constant cycle of just wishing our lives away. Whereas doing it all to the glory of God is, is a way of being in the moment. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I, saying I that, this is important. Yeah. What, what you're doing is saying this, what I'm doing right now is important. This is an important moment. This is an important activity. Is, is that what's going on in your head? Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and th- things like birthday parties, eating together as a family are very, very important. They're, they're things that you look back on in later life and say, yeah, I remember that year. That was a good year. You know, mm, that, mm. that was the year that we had a pizza party for my son. Mm, yeah. Um, they're good, good things. Okay. So when, when you do something to the glory of God, in inverted commas, as you're saying, I mean, that seems to imply that you value excellence and, you know, you like you do the best job you can. You, you quote another verse from the Bible, you know, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So it seems excellence is a part of that. But I guess you can do everything excellently to the glory of yourself. Like, what, what's the difference between doing something just to make yourself look good or make yourself feel good and doing something to the glory of God? I actually think that comes down to tip three, to be honest. Yeah. If I can jump down there. Yeah, go. Tip three, serve other people. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm going back to some things that Jesus said. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a, a bit of a, a parable or a riddle that, that Jesus Jesus tells, I think it's in Matthew 25, mm-hmm. and he talks about talks about a separation of people into two groups, sheep on one side and goats on the other, and he mm-hmm. says to the sheep, thanks, guys, so much for all that you've done. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. Mm-hmm. When I was hungry, you fed me. And they all scratch their heads and they say, we've got no idea what you're talking about. We, we didn't see you in prison. Yeah. And he says, aha, uh-huh. he says, when you looked after the youngest of my siblings – Mm. you were looking after me. And and I think for me that's what the difference is between doing it for my own glory and mm. and, mm. and doing it to doing it to the glory of God. Right. I, I think in that story that we've got to realize that the people characterized as sheep were totally bewildered. They they said I we didn't know when when we were when we were blessing you. Mm-hmm. And so what they were doing, they were doing for no personal gain and they were mm. actually literally doing it because they simply wanted to help the people around them. Okay, okay. And, and I guess in opposition to that is if you're not doing something to serve other people, you're just doing it to, to suit yourself. So, so in some ways, selfishness is the opposite to living to the glory of God and serving others. 
Yeah, I, I would say so. Mm. I wouldn't want to fall into the trap, however, of asceticism mm. and say, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to serve myself any ice cream because, I, you know, it's, it's, it's more spiritual to deny myself. That's right, yeah. Pope, pleasure is evil and that sort of thing. Yeah, there is a time yeah. to look after yourself. And as you said, Jesus went off by himself and, and prayed and that was the way he sort of replenished his, his spiritual batteries. So, look, we are just about out of time. But just as we finish, you talk about this idea of right place, right time. Can we just finish by explaining that to us? So the, the idea of right place, right time, I guess, comes out of, of something Jesus said where he, where he said, um, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, don't you know that God in heaven is looking after you? Yeah, um, and I was I was just saying this to my wife uh, yesterday. Our, our, our car's broken down; it's it's dripping oil. And I and I said to her, "Look, is God in control of our lives?" Yes. Um, I said, "Well, if if that's the case, then we're in the right place at the right time. We're not in the wrong place. God's got us in the uh, safely in the hollow of His hand. It's going to be okay." And I guess I found that that in times where I have felt out of place and where things are amiss. There are times where God has actually put me in the right place at the right time where I can help someone else mm. with a problem that they have. Mm. Now, if, if I hadn't lost my keys at the time or if my car hadn't broken down, then there would have been no way that I would end up running into that person at the right place at the right mm, time. Mm, mm. This this is back to the idea of being like like the wind, you know, it's, it's unpredictable. You can't always see how things work, yeah. Exactly. And I think to sum up the idea of right place, right time, it's something to, to think about when when I'm feeling anxious, mm-hmm. uh, like things are going wrong. And then I say, no, no, I, me and God are good. I am, I'm free. I'm in the hand of God and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, wow, that's that's incredibly it's comforting and confronting. I've I've got to say, it's certainly something to think about. Hey, thanks so much, uh, Jotham. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us this week. Oh, you are more than welcome. Thank you. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just twenty six dollars for eleven issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 